This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. My paternal grandfather liked quality and engineering. His career was in insurance, and every weekday he traveled by train from his home in Concord, Massachusetts, to downtown Boston, where for more than 45 years he worked at John Hancock. He came, though, from farming and tool stock. His grandfather and great-uncles owned a leather machinery belt company in Hartford, Connecticut, from the mid-1800s to the beginning of the 1900s. This grandfather was among my early gardening influences. His nasturtiums and gladiolas were influential to me. But it was not in his choice of plants or in his everyday work life that his love of craftsmanship and engineering came out. This came out in his collections. A tall, lanky, naval veteran of World War II, he collected grandfather clocks and old farm and garden tools. He had grinding stones and chisels. He had hand-carved wooden cranberry bog rakes and wooden trugs. He modeled perhaps more than anyone I know that our tools matter. My own tool bench potting stand have several tools, a hammer, a chisel, and a dibble, all branded with his name, P. Jewel. These are testament to his belief that good tools are worth their weight, they are worth caring for, and they are worthy of admiring. He and my mother, who shared their love of gardening, passed this on to me. The one tool of his I am not sure of are among our most common tools, but like our gardens themselves, they are also among our most ephemeral. These would be our gardening gloves. I have a lot to learn still in my own garden practice, but this I know. My tools matter to me, and they can be the difference between getting something done well, efficiently, and comfortably, or kind of bumbling along uncomfortably. Years ago now, when I was living and gardening in southern Vermont, I came across a pair of leather work gloves made by a company called Woman's Work, whose motto on their glove reads, Strong Women Building a Gentle World. As a woman who comes from a long line of gardeners, a professional gardening mother, five gardening aunts, two gardening sisters, and now two gardening floral-loving daughters, I loved that motto, and I loved those gloves. There are a good many good makers of women's gardening gloves and other gardening supplies now, and I applaud them all. We need them. Today, we hear more about the gardening story and journey of Dorian Winslow and her own life at the gardening helm of woman's work. Dorian joins us today from her home in New York via Skype. Welcome, Dorian. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm happy to be here. So, Dorian, tell us the earliest influences in your life or experiences that led you to knowing you were a plant and garden loving person. Well, um, I wasn't really a gardener or a plant person until I bought a home. But then when I bought that home, I realized that I had all kinds of early influences that kind of bubbled up to the surface. 
For instance, um, my grandmother uh, in her later years uh, lived not too far away and I was very close to her. And she talked a lot about her garden on the riverbank in Iowa Falls, Iowa that she loved. And she had this little black and white photograph of the garden. It was iris and um, hollyhocks and, and things like that. And mm. she showed me that photo and you could see the colors in the picture because of just imagining what it was like. And she was so proud of it. So I know that had an influence on me. And then later we, um, my family moved to Connecticut and my father did these elaborate sketches and layouts for a vegetable garden, and my mother did mainly the flower gardening. Um, but in later years, my mother has been a very big influence on my love of gardening. Um, another thing is that we went, to, we used to go to an island in Maine, and we still do uh, every summer. And I could see the differences in plant culture in on this little island. There were blueberries growing wild and seaweed mm. and bayberry. So I, that sort of intrigued me as well. Mm. And about how old were you when you first bought a house that launched you into a gardening life? Well, I was actually in my early 30s. Um, I was living in New York City, um, and I was a single person. And I knew I wanted to have a a little piece of ground somewhere out of the city. So I started saving for a house in my 20s. And then by about the age of 34, I bought a house. And um, that's really where my love affair with gardening, you know, started and has grown amazingly since. And what work were you doing at that time, Dorian? I was in advertising in the city in New York City, and um, I really, you know, I, I, I left the world of advertising and was working with women's work. Um, in advertising, I felt like I was always selling kind of a Me Too product, a parody product, and I was, it was very difficult to get excited about what I was selling. So mm -hmm. when I discovered women's work and um, felt that it was not only a terrific product for women, but it was a great motto. Everything about it just really sparked my interest. And it was about the time that I was developing a real passion for gardening. Nice. Tell us about the process of becoming the third owner of Women's Work. Well, I... Um, when I bought the company in the year 2000, I like to say I really I didn't give birth to women's work, but I raised it. Mm -hmm. I um, I really bought a little leather, a tiny leather glove company, and over the years uh, I've and it was based in Maine, so it was a Maine company owned by a really terrific woman, and I was at the point where I really wanted to get into gardening and not just on weekends, but I wanted it to be my career. Mm -hmm. So I um, did acquire the company after about a year of, of discussions with the, with the owner at that time. And uh, I, you know, took over the company and decided to add other products. And uh, that's what we've been doing now for 17 years. Wow. I know that it is noted on the the website and in some of your you know some of your materials 
that it is now the 31st, going on the 32nd year as a woman-owned and run business. I know you sell products to men. I know you do not discriminate in any way against men. But why is being a woman-owned and run business important to you and to your business model, Dorian? Well, first of all, um, I've always had strong women, like you said, that you have strong women in your life. I've always had strong role models in my life as well, starting with my grandmother and my mother. And the logo, Strong Women Building a Gentle World, is empowering to women. Mm. Um, We hear from customers who say, you know, things like, my women's work gloves got me through this or that. Actually, last week I got an email from a customer who said that her women's work gloves got her through Irma. Another pair had gotten her through Hurricane Andrew many years before in Florida. Those are the kinds of things that we hear from our women customers. Our core business is garden gloves, and they need a glove that fits. We think they do a better job, and you feel more confident when you're working if your glove fits and you're not constantly thinking you want to rip it off. Mm-hmm. So it's very, been very important for us to develop products for women um, and think both about the product's functionality and the emotional side of gardening. And we, uh, we want to be the best. We're passionate about being the best, offering the best products for women who garden and work outdoors on the market. But there's also the, the emotional side when for most of our gloves, um, we'll put the logo facing up. So when you're wearing the gloves, you're reading the logo. Yeah. Which I love. (laughs) It's not facing. So it, it works. You're thinking about while you're gardening, you're thinking I'm the strong woman building a gentle world. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very empowering. And in these times, I think that's particularly important. Yeah. And I think that comfort is, um, is really important in all of my tools. And it is different to have them built for men or for women. You can't just shrink them down and say they're going to fit correctly. And I wasn't always a glove-wearing person, interestingly enough. It wasn't until I was pregnant with my first daughter. I was gardening in urban Seattle, and I was told in no uncertain terms by my midwife that I was not to garden without gloves on during the course of my pregnancy because of specifically this sort of disgusting, but bacteria in the ground from um, cats and cat poop in, you know, that are, that is an element of all city gardening, I'm afraid. And, um, and it was the first time that I took it more seriously. I mean, there are, of course, times when I, I need to wear gloves like rose gardening or, you know, any weeding that involves briars or that kind of thing where I always wore them. But I, it became a much more, just much more habitual for me when I became pregnant for that first time. And now I'm very comfortable with them. Um, you actually did this survey of how many garden gloves do you own? And it was the first time I had counted them in a while. And um, I have easily six pairs. And I wear them all for different things. Some of them are mixed and matched. And it's only when you come down to two right-hand gloves that you're in trouble, right? (laughs) Right. Exactly. No, that was interesting to find in our survey that a majority of people who responded said they owned more than five pairs. Or perhaps they were referring to singles as well. 
Um, but the other point is that we make a lot of gloves with long cuffs yeah. because a lot of our customers, if they're older, they have thinner skin or they're a cancer survivor and they need that extra protection on their arms. So we're always trying to listen to what our customers want and respond with products that matter to them. Yeah. So both your mother and your daughter are involved in the company. Talk a little bit about their becoming involved and their roles in this women family. (laughs) Well, first of all, it means everything to me that my company is made up of family and friends. Um, My mother, who is in her early 90s, Uh, has always been there for me. She's very involved in the business. She handles emails. Um, She still answers the phone sometimes. Um, She's really um, very important to me as just uh, the rock, I guess. Um, My my stepdaughter, Eve, has uh, been involved in the past going to trade shows with me and it was a very important bonding experience between us that she was able to do those trade shows and uh, more recently she's moved to Vermont and has a new baby and and a new house so I now ask her to test products for me so that's sort of what she's doing Um, but I also have a lot of friends college friends and friends current friends from uh, my town who uh, go do trade shows with me or do hand modeling for the catalog. Uh, and it's not only family, but uh, I have a wonderful assistant, Marion, but we're all women, you know, and uh, we feel like we're the best ones to come up with the product ideas and the styling and everything for products for women. Mm -hmm. Um, We feel that very much so. And I think our customers agree. Um, But, and we also feel close to our customers. We test everything with, with them. Um, We stay in touch through our catalog and email. So it's, I don't know, it's, it is kind of a family business beyond just the immediate family. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. As gardeners, our tools run a close second to our plants for importance in our gardening lives. Where they come from, how they last and function, what they stand for even, is of interest to me. If 38% of all households engage in the joy of gardening, the way we vote with our dollars in terms of anything related to gardening makes a difference in this world, I think. And as with plants and books and other gardening stuff, in the realm of tools, I think we all have favorites. Tools we grew up with, tools passed to us culturally, tools we've found along the way. Today we're speaking with Dorian Winslow of Woman's Work, a woman-owned company specializing in work and garden gloves. While they carry a wide range of gloves and tools, Woman's Work is known specifically for having been the first glove company to design and offer garden work gloves specifically for women's hands. Dorian shared this with me. When I have trouble sleeping, I deliberately shift my thoughts to gardening. I think about a specific accomplishment I achieved that day or that week, or I think about things I want to accomplish in the future. It's amazing how this thought practice brings her peace. We'll be right back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place. 
Conversations on Natural History and the Human Impulse to Garden. Dorian Winslow is speaking with us today about her own gardening practice and her work at the helm of Woman's Work, an American-grown garden glove company known especially for their gloves designed to fit women's hands. Welcome back. Describe for us, Dorian, your gardening practice. What does your garden look like and what is your gardening practice? Well, um, when I bought the house that we live in now, um, it was a weekend house and now it's we've moved out from New York City full time. And I, it's about four acres. It's in Dutchess County, New York in the Hudson Valley region. It's really a beautiful landscape and it has never stopped capturing my interest. Mm. Uh, we've got lots of water streams, ponds, an old oak tree, got hills in the distance. Um, but I guess I love the physical part of gardening. Last week I was creating a, a path to a compost pile that we're starting. And there were about six huge rocks along the way. And I had gotten all of them out, each one weighing maybe 40 pounds. I did it all myself. And the last one just wouldn't come out. So I left it for about four days, went back out with my gloves, and it just kind of yielded itself to me and came out of the ground. <laughs> it may sound a little corny, but, I mean, my brother totally gets it. We're just a real rock family. So we love our rocks, and it's a good thing because there are a lot of them in, in, <laughs> uh, in this area. <laughs> but... Um, Another thing that I really love about gardening is is sharing plants. And so a lot of the plants in my garden are from my mother's garden. Uh, I have seeds that I've taken. Uh, I took a handful of seeds from some lupin plants in Maine at the cottage where we spend part of every summer. I've never seen them bloom up there, so... I brought them back and um, started them, and now I have a beautiful little lupin plant collection that reminds me of Maine. Um, another story is that my my aunt from Minnesota told us about some poppies that she grows that were from her uncle, who my great uncle in Iowa. And I tried to start them in my garden; it didn't work, but I will try again. But he would be 130 years old now, and yet his poppies are still growing. So that part of gardening is very important to me, that sharing the – when you look at a plant, you think of a person or a place or an event. Um, another thing is we have a lot of wildlife around our property. We have coyote, fox, deer, turkeys. Uh, a couple of times we've seen bears. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we were right on the edge of the great swamp uh, wetlands in New York, and the water feeds the water system in New York City. Mm. So it's very well protected, although we, we have to work very hard at that. So we don't use chemicals in our lawn or in our gardening at all. And we have trees, beautiful trees with high canopies, oak, shagbark, hickory, tulip trees and the leaves rustle in the breeze so sometimes I go out on the back deck and just sit 
sort of in the evening and just hear the leaves rustling and think this is my center. So gardening is a very, very important part of who I am and, and how I think about the world. We are also very fortunate. We have neighbors that we love and they are weekend residents. So, you know, we have a, a lot of privacy during the week, but on weekends, not every weekend, they're up. And we decided to build a friendship bridge between their property and ours, and it goes over a little stream between our properties. So that's been a really lovely thing. And then, and then we've worked together to plant plantings around the stream, and, and that's just been a lot of fun as a project. But it's also just so meaningful, and it's actually increased our friendship because we it's easier to get to each other's house. Yeah. And it is such a bridge, right? I mean, I think we see this in, in what you're saying about your your business model, but also in terms of your garden. Like our gardens are, they're bridges to our communities, to our own selves, to the wildlife in our area, and to the landscapes of our environment that we're trying to steward. Yes, and, you know, I have to say that sometimes it's hard for me to separate my life from my business. I feel like, and this may sound cliche-ish, but I live a gardening life. So, Mm -hmm. and really I have an office job during the day. I'm working, I'm running a business, but I'm thinking about gardening a lot. And um, in my spare time, I'm involved with my local land trust and my local farmer's market. So for instance, last summer, we did a milkweed giveaway and it was at the farmer's market sponsored by the land trust. So I was able to combine both of those organizations and it was a win for both. Mm-hmm. And you were giving away milkweed. So it was a win yes. for, for quite a few things, right? Yes. So when you look at your garden, Dorian, at this point in your life, what do you have a vegetable garden? Do you have flower gardens? Are natives important to you? What? How do you approach that? I don't have a vegetable garden, but I have put some vegetables in with my flower gardens, like some cucumbers and tomatoes and herbs. Uh, but I've wanted the veg those edible uh, plants to be close to the house, and there's not quite enough sun there to have a big garden. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of uh, I guess flower and shrub gardens. But this year I started working with a woman who is a horticulturist and garden designer named Robin Zitter and her assistant, John Hoyt. And they have helped me identify invasives on our property Mm. and helped me plant more natives. Um, I've always felt our property or the plantings that I've put in were quite naturalistic looking. I don't have any formal gardens, but I don't feel they have to be native completely, but she's um, offered or suggested some choices where I could substitute, like for instance, I put in, I took an old uh, hydrangea out that wasn't performing. In fact, it wasn't a good spot for it because it wilted every afternoon in the sun. And we put in native clethra, put in fothergilla, 
and aptesia and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but also identifying invasives has been important. Um, Phragmites are a mm. huge problem in our area. And we just spotted about 10 of them in a kind of swampy area yeah. on one side of our property. So John took them out and now they're back. So we have to, we'll have a plan for that. Um, but it's been really interesting and I look forward to working with Robin and John going forward. But as I said before, we're surrounded by the great swamp watershed and um, we don't use chemicals and um, in fact, we have well water. So it's really important that everything be natural and um, yeah. The, and that, that it's, it's interesting to hear another, you know, experienced uh, gardener talk about that process of we're learning all the time and you know what the more we learn the more we understand how much we don't know but that identifying of what are invasives um, and of course not all non-natives are invasive but it is of particular concern in our in our waterways and wetlands um, and you know that phragmites choking the the, the wetland areas and out competing some of the more um, beneficial natives, the habitat providing natives is is such a key element I have found in my own gardening um, growth and expansion as I get older. Yes, and it's we have another uh, terrible invasive called Japanese stilt grass mm. and that's really insidious and it just kind of can take over it's very easy to pull out but it makes it also very easy to embed and so we've been working on that as well so yes it's really important and so many of these invasives are uh, wetland plants yeah yeah and yeah so we've got a lot of people in our community on the case and you know, the, I think the consensus here is that you will not get rid of them, but you have to manage them. So if you can just keep them from getting more pervasive, then you've done a good job. Uh huh. I would say that's the same the same mindset here as well. And and the more people who get on board and learn about them and understand the the benefits of managing them, I think the better off we all we all are, and and our landscapes are. Describe, Absolutely. describe some of your favorite natives that you work with there, Dorian. Well, um, I've been very happy with the plants like Clethra that mm -hmm. we put in and the Fothergilla native versions. Um, I love my Joe Pye weed. Um, one of some of the plants we have that go between on our kind of water course where we have our friendship bridge are Thalictrum or meadow rue, Rogersia, um, goat's beard. So those are some of my favorites. Yeah. And do you use them for, for cutting flowers as well? Some of them, um, and I probably will more in the future, but um, not as much yet. Um, because they're kind of new new plants in my garden. Yeah. So so most of your beds, it sounds like, are kind of naturalistic, ornamental beds. Describe some of your favorites there. I have a, a 
garden that I call a berm, although it's getting lower and lower, so it's not that much of a berm anymore. <laughs> but it's it has two spruce trees, and if I had my druthers, I'd probably put in white spruce, which Robin recommended, but these are blue spruce that I planted about 10 years ago. Yeah. And then in front of them, I have a red twig dogwood, I have baptisia, I have some fall asters, um, lots of ferns. I have caryopteris. Nice. And we decided we're going to expand that a little bit because a beautiful blue, sort of silvery blue flower Mm -hmm. in August, late August, where we are. That's when that blooms. Um, I have some grasses but not a lot of grasses. And uh, what else do we have? Those are, I have a few, I don't use annuals very much. Um, Of course, for us, a lot of perennials are called annuals because they don't survive our cold winters. We're Mm -hmm. in zone, USDA zone five. So um, a lot of our plants that are, really are perennials. We we just either have to bring them inside in the winter or let them die and replace them. One of the things that I enjoy fully about both your website and your newsletter and, and your catalog is this section of it about strong women stories and the story bank. Talk a little bit about the history of these two elements to your work and what was the inspiration behind getting them started? Yeah, I wrote a story for my Curious Gardener newsletter a couple of years ago, and it was a tribute to my mother. And I said, thank you, Mom, for giving me the gift of gardening. And I talked about how I felt she was a strong woman, and she, she, you know, at that point, late 80s, was out there sifting her soil through the screen that my father had made for her. She was doing everything that I was doing in the garden. And so I wrote this thank you tribute, and I got a really terrific response. So last year, we sent out um, a call to our newsletter readers, and we asked them to share their stories about how they developed a love of gardening. And, of course, we did offer a woman's work gift certificate, and we got a terrific response. We were just kind of amazed in this time when people often will read something and then just move on very quickly to the next thing and what a response we got. And so we thought, you know, we should really be sharing these stories because not only are they interesting to read, but we actually heard from a lot of people that they enjoyed sharing them and thinking about their memories about gardening. And they thanked us for giving them that opportunity to, to really think about it. So mm-hmm. that, that really was very special for us. So we started on our website, a story bank, and we try to update it. And we, we'll probably be sending out another call for stories, and maybe it'll be on some, some other topic. But this was definitely a very fruitful topic, is just you know understanding or thinking about how you got into gardening. Can I read a couple of the short ones? I would love that, yeah. Okay, so Alice Hatfield wrote, After buying my first house in the country, a nice young person brought me over a tiny pot with some kind of plant in it. She said, let it grow. 
45 years later, I am still passing on cuttings from that plant and saying, <laughs> let it grow. <laughs> Another one is um, Donna Bruyard wrote, my grandparents lived within walking distance. So as a child, I often went on surprise visits where I was greeted with hugs and kisses. I now know the secrets my grandfather discovered and how his gardening sustained him throughout his life. When I am on my knees in my garden, I feel him kneeling beside me. Hmm. And the last one that I that I picked because it was so sweet was Cindy Johnson wrote, my maternal grandfather introduced me to what a joy a garden can be, even in the concrete environs of Brooklyn, New York. A cherry tree stood in one corner of his garden and an old lilac bush in the other corner. To stand between those sensory rivals was sheer heaven and something I looked forward to because my birthday fell in late spring and I thought it was nature's gift to me alone. <laughs> so I mean, aren't those wonderful they little stories? They are wonderful. Stories? They are wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today, our guest is Dorian Winslow, president of Women's Work. While they're especially known for their garden and work gloves designed for women, the nature of work and the importance of quality tools in our lives is important to the ethos of women's work. Dorian shares that she looks for ways to avoid stereotypes about what is women's work and what is man's work. You will never see them taking sides on that. If data shows, and it does, that men do more vegetable gardening and women do more flower gardening, we in the catalog might show a woman doing vegetable gardening and a man doing flower gardening. And by the way, the data in that regard is changing. In our current catalog, she shares, we have a friend of hers, Jay Erickson, holding his adorable two-year-old daughter, Juniper, wearing his man's work gloves. That says all kinds of good things about all of our work in this world. Dorian uses the word garden the way the English do. Her garden is not just a single garden bed, but it is her entire property. The garden beds, the hardscape, and the landscape around her house on close to four acres in Dutchess County, New York. We'll be right back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. Dorian Winslow is speaking with us today about her own gardening practice and her work at the helm of Women's Work, an American-grown garden glove company known especially for their gloves designed to fit women's hands. Welcome back. Another thing that we've done that we've really enjoyed is um, creating uh, stories or profiles about women who we think are strong role models and inspire us. And we put them on this, their story on little hang tags that are on some of our gloves. So um, in fact, Jennifer, you are on one of them and the gloves are coming out this fall. Uh, we also, we have a woman who's a master gardener, volunteer with the Cornell Co-op Extension in Dutchess County. She's featured. We have a woman who's an all-volunteer uh, search and rescue, part of the all-volunteer search and rescue team in Southern California, Ventura County. And we have a woman who is involved with the kitchen community 
which is a program that builds learning gardens and schools. It's a national program, and she works out of Chicago. So we just have these little little snippets of, of inspirational kind of words about somebody, and then we say we are inspired by her story. Yeah. And that's been really fun to put together, too, because we love hearing about what other women are doing, and these are all women that we think are strong women building a gentle world. Well, I'm completely honored to to be among them. And so when did you start this pro- part of the program? The Women's Work Little Profiles for yeah. the Hang Tags? Yeah. We've been doing that for about four years. Yeah. And so every year with a new group of gloves that we bring in, we have a whole new batch of stories. And we featured all kinds of interesting people. Yeah. Who Who were the first round of people? Oh, boy, you're asking me to think back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know, let's see, last we had a woman who was very involved in Monarch Watch. Oh, yeah. She was, um, she led and and organized programs in her area of Virginia to educate people about the plight of the monarchs and the importance of planting milkweed. So that was one woman. We also featured a woman who was a veteran of the Afghanistan war, and she was involved in a program called Walk Off the War, where she was hiking on the Appalachian Trail to walk off the war. And we had made some contributions of gloves to that program, and she wore our gloves, and we thought she was the kind of person that really deserved to to be um to receive this kind of tribute as well. Yeah. So those are two that come to mind. Yeah. What how what percentage of your gloves are made? What percentage of your gloves are are leather or cotton and what are synthetic just out of curiosity myself? Okay, well actually hmm, um a very low percent in the overall scheme of things are leather. We have a very strong dedicated group of customers who want leather, um, but most of our gloves that we sell are synthetic. They're machine washable, you know, they're color fast. They're yeah. color color's important to some people because it if you take them off, when you take them off, you they can, don't get lost. Right. You, you can, can see, see them, them. <laughs> where where you drop exactly. them. <laughs> exactly. And well. what about so it started as a, a company in Maine um, and the gloves were made there. What percentage of your gloves are still produced in the in the U.S. and what are produced somewhere else? Well, all of our leather gloves are still produced in the U.S. Um, our the original factory that was making them did close, and uh, it took us a couple of years to find a factory that we wanted to work with that would have the same standards of quality that we have. So. Uh, they're making our leather gloves, so it's you know it's a it's a percentage of our total business, maybe fifteen percent of our total business is leather gloves mm-hmm. or twenty percent, um, and then the rest is made overseas. Yeah. But I've been to those factories and given my seal of approval. Yeah. What kind of early education in gardening did you have beyond your your grandmother's early influences? 
Well, I studied at the New York Botanical Garden. I got a certificate in landscape design. It was, my certificate was in 2014, so it was more recent. And uh, I still consider myself very much a student, but a couple of my friends have uh, hired me to design gardens for them, so that's been nice. And, uh, you know, we, we have a newsletter we call The Curious Gardener, which I think reflects the way I feel about gardening, which is that you're always learning. And particularly me, I'm really a business person who loves to garden. I, my job is an office job. I'm at my office a lot, but I love to garden and I have a deep appreciation for it. I think that I have a lot to learn. And so we named our newsletter, our online newsletter, The Curious Gardener, because we feel that um, people are interested in learning things along with us. So about every two weeks, we put out a newsletter that we send to about 15,000 of our customers. And it is, it is so true that the older I get, the more I realize how much I don't know and how much I still have to learn, especially in I gardening, know. Dorian. Oh, goodness. What is your hope for the future of that kind of paying forward of the mission? What do you see as its, its importance at kind of a, you know, a existential level, Dorian? Well... I want to keep using my business as a platform for promoting strong women role models. Um, I have a stepdaughter and five nieces, and I want them all to grow up to be strong women, and two of them already have. And I want to, you know, we look for ways to make our, our, our motto, strong women building a gentle world, mean something. Uh, we really feel like it's kind of an angel on our shoulder, and it makes us do things better and think about how we're contributing to the better of the world, if that's too grand a statement. Um, but when you have a logo like that, it does make you think about what you're doing to live up to it. So we're always thinking about it. Um, we want to support efforts to fight hunger. We try to help out at a dining room in Poughkeepsie that serves meals to people in need. And we feel that whatever you do, if you can start right in your own backyard, it's very meaningful, even if it's not helping a whole lot of people. Just along the lines of trying to do better at everything we do, when you run a company with a motto like we have, it gives you something to live up to. We recently started creating upcycled products where we use the leather scraps from the factory instead of throwing them out we are now making them into products like change purses and key fobs and they're on our website and so that's just one more thing where if you have this cloak of feeling like you want to be doing something better you come up with these ideas. It kind of flows out of it. Yeah, yeah. One thing I want to do is get our products into the hands of first responders at disaster scenes. Mm -hmm. um, there are more and more women getting involved with search and rescue and wildland firefighting and things like that. And I'd like women's work to be there. Yeah. And I want women's work to stand up for women. It's important in these times. Yeah, it is.
sometimes I'll substitute gentle with the word better. Um, strong women building a better world. Uh, gardening, on one hand, is kind of a gentle art, I guess. Uh, but I think of women's work, women, as being women who are thinking about something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's how I think of it. It is a gentle art when you look at the end result, and it's an incredibly physical, sometimes violent and aggressive act when you're yes. actually in the middle of it, right? Like pulling that Phragmites oh, out of the wetlands, not gentle. And, um, no, you know, dealing right. with the, the gopher that was in my back garden. But yeah, better. I, I mean, I think you could put any number of words in that motto and it would still work and hold true for what you're doing. A, a, a brighter world, a more connected world, uh, you know. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, last week I went out again trying to get one of those rocks out and it was muddy and raining. And I came in... And I was completely soaked. Everything I was wearing was caked in mud. And I felt great. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, and at the same time, I thought, this is a woman's work woman. Yeah. I had, you know, that's sort of how I feel about us. Yeah. We it work, we work, you know, we try to get the job done. Uh, we care. I think of our gloves as being gloves with a conscience in a way. One last question. How do you recommend caring for your leather gloves? We recommend that you wash them in cool water and let them air dry. So the way I do it is I will keep the hand, gloves on my hands or put them on my hands, run them under a faucet with cool water and a little soap. I mean, ideally something that's designed for natural fibers, but any soap is okay. And just get all the soap out, wash it carefully. You don't have to wash the back of the hands necessarily. Mm -hmm. So you're getting the palms and the fingers primarily. And then just let them dry slowly, not in the sun, not on a radiator. And once you put them back on, they may be a little stiff at first. Once you start working with them, they will soften up. The oils from your hands will soften the gloves. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you would like to add, Dorian? Well, I think that you're doing a wonderful radio program and doing a service with that, and I appreciate it, and thank you very much for having me on. Um, but really, it's it's wonderful to have a company, and I think I was drawn to women's work because it's bigger than just a glove company, mm -hmm. and it has a lot more potential to get a message out there and be empowering to women. And so every day I try to think of ways that we can further that, and that's what's on my mind every day, yeah. as well as creating the best products we can and I think going back to what you just said, that starting in our own backyards is how I see every home garden, and it's how I see every home gardener is that idea of starting where we are with what we have, and that that is a bridge to all of these connections and to making the world a better place, and I don't think that's too grand of a statement and I um, am very grateful for your motto and your work in this world. So 
Thank you very much for, for being a guest today, Dorian. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Dorian Winslow is the third owner and current president of Woman's Work, a woman-owned family business celebrating almost 33 years. Dorian's mother, Biz, handles customer service and billing. Marion is her extremely capable and bright administrative assistant. Dorian's college friend, Diana, and her daughter, Catherine, help with trade shows. Rebecca and Debbie are close gardening friends who are sometimes hand models also. Dorian's daughter, Eve, tests new products in her Vermont gardens and advises on reaching out to the younger generation of gardeners. Women's Work applauds women who are making a difference and use their stories to inspire others. Strong Women Building a Gentle World. Recently, Women's Work started a story bank where they collect stories from their newsletter readers compiling garden origin stories. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways we engage in and grow from the cultivation of our places. My greatest hope with this program is to expand our own views on what gardening is, what a garden looks like, and who we identify as gardeners. I'm telling you, we're a powerful community of bright, caring people. We make a difference. Thank you for listening. To see photos illustrating my conversation with today's guest, Dorian Winslow of Women's Work, visit cultivatingplace.com. While you're there, make sure you subscribe to the newsletter so you can be the first to know who upcoming guests will be and, well, you know, other quantum gardening stuff. Even better, share the program with others and join our community. Follow Cultivating Place on Instagram and Facebook. Share what tools you love, what tools have story and meaning for you. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Our communications coordinator is Casey Gardner. Original theme music is by Matt Schultz. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, Enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.